I love the book of Colossians. I've memorized most of it, but you know the sad thing about memorizing, at least at my age now, is it seems to go out kind of quickly. I have to keep pouring it back in, and it keeps going back out, and it's just this constant of, of reviewing it. So today, if I use some different words, I'm, I have the ESV up on the slides, but I've memorized it in the NIV, so there'll be times when I'm like using different words, and that's the reason. Okay. Anyway, it, it is a it is a joy to be able to teach this morning. I love teaching, um, especially Colossians. So I can get this clicker working. What I want to do is start just by reading, and we're going to back up just a little bit. We're, we're actually we're going to read the whole first chapter through verse twenty three so that we have the flow. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and all its truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on, our, on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Amen. There is so much meat in there that I mean you could you could spend weeks just just going over this this section of, of Colossians. What did I do with the clicker? Here it is. Okay. So I, I want to start back in verses thirteen and fourteen to kind of set up the context. Because what you see is, right here he talks about being uh, in the domain of darkness and transferring to the kingdom of his son, um, of, into the son of his son Jesus. And then he breaks out into this discussion about who Christ is, and then he talks about him in the, at the end of that section about him being the reconciler. And then in verse um, 21, it says, and you were alienated from him, and you were hostile in mind, and you were enemies. 
doing evil deeds, but he reconciled you by making peace through his blood shed on the cross by Christ's physical body. So you can see that he's got this, he starts with, you've been rescued, talks about that reconciliation, what it looks like, and he talks about Christ in between. So this is kind of like a bookend. So the dominion of darkness, or domain of darkness, domain equals authority, rule, or dominion. Interesting choice of words, domain or dominion, authority, rule. Why does Paul start off by talking about us being in that kind of condition? I have a picture here of a walled city, the domain. We were in the domain of darkness. What does that mean? Why does Paul use that terminology? Well, he uses that because that's our condition before Christ. You notice that it says he delivered us, and in the NIV it says he rescued us. We were in, a bad, we were in, in, a, in bad shape. We were under the authority of darkness. We needed to be rescued and delivered and transferred into God's kingdom. So I want to talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work of the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Notice that we all once lived, not just the really bad people, (laughs) all of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There is nothing special about us before Christ. We were all in that condition. We were all dead in our trespasses. The next one's shocking, isn't it? We were followers of Satan. When you think about lost people, do you think that they're followers of Satan? That is their condition. You see why they need to be rescued? By nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. In other words, the wrath of God is upon them. In John chapter 3, it says that before Christ, we were condemned. We're, all, we're condemned. We're either condemned or, or we're not condemned. We're rescued. So there's no in-between state. So here they are, by nature, children of wrath. And it's not just a, a little thing. It says, by your very nature, who you are as a human being, From the time of Adam, when sin entered the world, the state of humankind is to be, by nature, a rebel, a sinner, an enemy of God, and therefore, under his punishment, deserving his wrath. Wow. The dominion of darkness. That was us. That's where a lot of people still are. Billions of people. Ephesians 4.18 says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. You see, their alienation is due to the hardness of their heart. That is the condition of the natural person. You have a hard heart. It is resistant to the things of God. You want to do what you want to do, don't you? I used to do, (laughs) I still fight that. But, I mean, that is the nature of a lost person. They have a hard heart. Romans 8, 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow, that's shocking too, isn't it? Not only are we hostile to God, we don't submit to God's law, and we see that in people, but it says they can't. They can't. They are unable to submit to God. They cannot please God. 
So people who go around talking, you know, they don't know Christ, but yet somehow they're doing things that please God. Not true. It says right here, they cannot please God. They are unable to submit to him. Dominion of darkness. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's where people live. You're either in the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of light. There's not a kingdom of the gray, kind of halfway in between. You're in one or the other. Romans six seventeen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So, yeah, you were in bad shape. You were a follower of Satan. You were hostile to God. You were a rebel. You were, you were a slave to sin. Imagine the uh, you know, shackles on you and sin as the master. That's your condition before Christ, without Christ. That's the condition of those in the dominion of darkness, a slave to sin. They're not, they're not free. They're slaves. Do you see why they need to be rescued? It's pretty sobering, isn't it? We don't think about this very often. We don't. It's, it's, in this beautiful world out here, we just don't, don't see that. As everything seems to be light and nice, but the spiritual reality is this. The dominion of darkness. Even in Mount Pleasant. First Corinthians 2.14 the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the natural woman, the natural child does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're stupid to him. I mean, you've, you've seen that response from people, right? Bible, Jesus, it's ridiculous. You guys are a bunch of ignoramuses. A bunch of Neanderthals believe in that stuff. Well, can they be any different? Can they have any different understanding than that? Not according to this verse. Because unless the Spirit of God does a work in them, it's folly to them. It's foolishness. They are not able to accept the gospel without the Spirit of God because things, these are spiritually discerned. You need the Spirit of God to understand, understand the things of God. So, the dominion of darkness. Not a good place to be, is it? But yet, when you're there, it just seems normal. That's your, that's, your, that's your life. That's where you live. Made me think of the uh, Kim Il-jong, Kim Jong ill, whatever, in um, North Korea, and how he's got his troops marching to him, pledging allegiance to him, willing to die for him, carrying his flag around with his picture. They don't know any different. That is their domain. They think that's, he's wonderful. We, we know different because we can see clearly that this guy's a maniac and evil, but they don't see that. Some of them do, but most of them, this is a good guy. This is our leader. We love him. So, who will rescue us? We are in a very bad state in our natural condition, aren't we? Do you see any hope for working yourself out of that? <laughs> Really can, like, okay, I'm a slave, and all of a sudden I'm going to go beat the slave master. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to, I'm going to unshackle myself. I'm, I'm going to all of a sudden spirit, have spiritual discernment. I'm just going to do this on my own. Do you see why you need somebody to rescue you? you see why it says that Jesus rescues us from the dominion of darkness? If you, did, if you could do it yourself, you wouldn't need somebody to rescue you, would you? I, I think of it as like being a... I was in the Navy for 20 years, so I think of it in terms like a military commando raid going into the enemy territory, 
you know, the Navy SEALs going into a place and rescuing their guys who were in captivity by the Taliban or whatever. They needed to be rescued. They couldn't get out. That's what Jesus does for us. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That's, to me, that makes my heart sing. When I think about that every day, that pumps me up. I can't wait to, to live and to tell other people about this wonderful rescuer. So who will rescue us? Now, throughout Colossians, Paul is speaking to the people and saying, look, there's people coming around saying, you know, Christ is, Christ is good, but, you know, the angels, the people getting messages from angels, and you should listen to them. Uh, men, you know, there are a lot of wise men in the world. They'll give, they'll give you some good information, necessary information. Worldly wisdom, the traditions of man, the basic principles of this world. Paul talks about these things throughout Colossians. Are they going to rescue us? No. You see, Paul's saying, look, you guys, remember where you came from. Remember you were rescued. There's only one person who can rescue you. There's only one person who can sustain you, and that's Jesus Christ. And so then he breaks out into this, these next verses about who Christ is. So, verse 15. So, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In John 14, 8 through 10, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? People say, well, Jesus never said he was God. You know, this is just Paul, some of these other apostles writing. I'm sorry, but what does that say? Jesus says, you see me, you see the Father. I am the image of the invisible God. You cannot see God. He is a spirit. He's invisible. Remember Moses wanted to see God? God says, oh, you know what, if you look at me, you're going to die. And so he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock, and he passes by him, and Moses just sees him from the back. Our God is an awesome God, but yet he wanted us to know himself, and so he sent Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. Isn't he nice? <laughs> wow. He didn't have to show us himself. If he didn't show us himself, we would never know him. If he didn't reveal himself to us, we wouldn't know him. In the same way that if I don't reveal myself to, to you or to my wife, if I don't let you see what really was on the inside, you'll never know really what's there. God's the same way. He's got to reveal himself to us. We cannot figure him out. For in him, this is from uh, chapter 1 of verse 19 of Colossians, and in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not 50% of the fullness of God. Isn't it interesting he uses fullness and all? Just in case you missed it, you know, the all and fullness, everything. Christ is God. Invisible form. John Calvin says, The sum is this, that God in himself, that is, in his naked majesty, is invisible. And that not to the eyes of the body merely, but also to the understanding of men. And that he is revealed to us in Christ alone, that we may behold him as in a mirror. For in Christ he shows us his righteousness, goodness, wisdom, power, in short, his entire self. We must therefore beware of seeking him elsewhere. For everything that would set itself off as a representation of God apart from Christ will be an idol. And you'll see this concept throughout the book of Colossians where Paul is telling them, don't look elsewhere. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not 50% of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, every single bit. So don't look to angels, don't look to these wise men who are telling you these different things and having these visions. Christ alone. 
He is the firstborn of all creation. So was Jesus created? It kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's the firstborn of all creation. Hmm. Born first of all creation. Now, you always have to interpret Scripture with other Scripture. You just can't take one verse and make your theology on that one verse. You've got to look at the rest of Scripture. So, you probably immediately went to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's there. He was there in the beginning. Always. So he could not have been created. Firstborn is used frequently in the New Testament, 130 times to indicate their priority or sovereignty of rank. The firstborn, the preeminent one, the first of all the others. Like the firstborn son is used often throughout the, uh, the Bible as the one who receives the inheritance. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus is the first, the preeminent one, the, the initial one. These concepts are pretty, pretty heavy. I'm still wrapping my mind around these. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Christ could not be created because he is the creator. Every single thing that is, whether you can see it or not, whether it's angelic or on earth, they were all created through Christ. And this is interesting. They were created for him. This is God. God's like, this is for you. This is yours. This is ours. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together in Christ. That's an interesting concept too, isn't it? What if Christ quit holding things together? <laughs> all of a sudden... All the atoms and molecules in our body just start flying apart. No more electrical charge, attraction, positive, negative. Um, no more gravity. We just all float off. We cease to exist. Jesus sustains us. I think about where he says, not um, a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground except the Father knows it. He's numbered the hairs on our head he, he is sovereign over everything. He controls everything. Not one thing happens outside of the control of Christ. He holds our lives together. Wow, isn't that good? I need somebody holding my life together because it's out of control. <laughs> but I have a big God and he has it in control. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body, the church. Later on in Colossians 2, he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Christ is the head of the church, of all the believers. And it's from him that we take our direction. It's from him that we get our sustenance. He holds us together. And our unity and our faith is in him, not in a person, a pastor, a church, a denomination. It's in Christ, the head I, I was at a church about 10 years ago. I was working there as a part-time youth pastor. I know you're asking, 10 years ago you were still old and you were a youth pastor. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm, I was. <clears throat> I had told God, God, I'll do anything but be a youth pastor. <laughs> if 
But you know what? He changed my desires so that I actually wanted to do it. So that's what God does. He changes our desires to line up with his. So I was at this church, and I asked, can I invite black kids to the youth event? I asked this to the, to the elders, and I knew I needed to ask because I just knew, you know, it's a rural church, and there still is racism around. So they said, well, no, because there are some people who would be upset. And, um, you know, so we want to keep the unity, you know. You know what? That's a unity that's not built on Christ. That is not unity. Christ is the head. It is around him that we are unified. <clears throat> because, yeah, if you get off track there, who knows where you go? You are unified around Christ and his word. <clears throat> he is the head. He holds us together. <clears throat> the firstborn from among the dead. Um, Adam was the firstborn of the human race. And in Romans, Paul talks about Christ being the new Adam. He says, therefore, as one trespass by Adam led to condemnation for all men, right? That's why we're in that dominion of darkness state, by nature, children of wrath. So as, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness by Christ leads to justification and faith for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience... Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man, Christ, by his obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's the firstborn from among the dead. Just said in another way. Nineteen, we've kind of covered that, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Christ had to die. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wage. What you earn by being a sinner, what you earn is death. That's it. Physical death, spiritual death. Separation from God, loss of your life. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God or to reconcile you to God. See, we were sinners. We were enemies. We were rebels of God. We need somebody to make peace between us and God because we're, we're at war. Even though maybe we didn't think of it in those terms, that's the way we were before Christ. So Christ, by pain, um, the penalty for us, we deserve death because of our sin. Christ took the sins of us, of the world upon him. He died for sins, took the wrath of God, so that by faith in Christ, then, we could be brought to peace with God. So, <clears throat> nevertheless, okay, so you see what Christ did as reconciling us, but how do we get from the dominion of darkness, where we're really unable to accept the gospel, right? And that's what it said. Unable to accept the gospel, unable to please God, unable to submit to him, slaves of sin, followers of Satan in the, this domain of darkness. So how does it, I mean, all of a sudden it's like, okay, gee, I, how do I get from, how does Christ become my reconciler? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So I'll talk about the work of the Holy Spirit here. So we're dead, we're made alive. How does that happen? I just, I'm walking along and... Give me some details, Dave. Okay, I will. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 prophecy in the Old Testament. God says, and I will give you a new heart. So remember that hard heart that we're born with? 
I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, or a soft heart, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that interesting? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes? I mean, he's doing this amazing work in us, and, and we just often think, I just all did all this myself. God did it. He, he gave us a new heart. In John, um, in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. I think Buster talked about this on Sunday. Nicodemus, Pharisee, a righteous man, comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven, to be saved? Jesus says, you have to be born again. Huh? I don't get that. I can't go and be rebirthed by my mother. No, Jesus says, I'm not talking about physical rebirth. I'm talking about spiritual one. You've got to be born by the water and the spirit. And the spirit is like the wind. It blows wherever it wants. You can't see it, but you see the effects of it. You see the, the leaves moving. You know the spirit's been there. John 1.13 says, in John 1.12, it says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, which were born, or born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's pretty amazing too, isn't it? You see, this... Rescuing this new birth, this being born again, is, is required of anyone to go to heaven. And it is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that you're in the dominion of darkness, you're a slave, and all of a sudden, okay, I'm, uh, I'm walking out, I'm, I'm leaving this place, it stinks. Something happened. You were born, again, not of your own will, but of the will of God. That's pretty amazing. We don't often think about this, do we? We just think, okay, I kind of know what you do to be saved. You, you, you believe in, you repent. But, and you know why this is important? One, because it's true. Two, are, are you going to be more thankful for something? If you were, if you were, um, you ever watch um, Man vs. Wild and stuff, things like that, where these guys get stuck out in the wild? Let's say that you were, you were in Alaska, snow, you were out of food, you were out of fire, you had nothing, and you're just, you're just I'm going to die. And then you, you found a book, and it gave you all these, oh, here's how to survive. And so, you know, you, you, you do it and it says go and then walk this way and you, and you get out. And, you know, and like that book was the Bible or something. Versus you're dying, things are hopeless, and somebody comes in, picks you up, dusts you off, puts you over their back and takes you out. Who are you going to be more thankful for? That person who rescued you, huh? Versus, you know, hey, yeah, you know, I found this book and it was well, it showed me some good ways to live, and I, I, you know, I kind of just got out of there. But what happens is we're rescued. James 1.18. Now, how does it happen? Though? I mean, it's just not this magical thing that just, there's something else. We have to flesh this out more. James 1.18 says, of his own will, God, of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the Bible the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through what? The living and abiding word of God. God uses his word. You read the word, God makes it come alive, boom! This makes sense. It didn't, but it does now. 
Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology, which is a great reference on page 700, if you, you know, this is sometimes I refer to it as the big blue book. This is the big blue book. It says, as the gospel comes to us, God speaks through it to summon us to himself, which is, theologians use the word effective calling, and to give us new spiritual life, which is called regeneration or being born again so that we are enabled to respond in faith. So as the gospel comes to us, God speaks through the gospel to call us to himself and enables us to respond in faith. He opens our eyes to its truthfulness and to its beauty. Effective calling is thus God the Father speaking powerfully to us, and regeneration is God the Father and God the Holy Spirit working powerfully in us to make us alive. So I, I, I liken it to, uh, I think John Piper uses frequently, to giving us new taste buds. In Thailand, people like to eat weird stuff. One of the things they like to eat in Thailand is uh, like fried grasshoppers and fried worms. Frankly, that doesn't appeal to me. But that's the way people view the gospel before they're saved. The gospel stinks. Nasty. I don't want to submit to that God. I don't want to give up my sin. I like my sin. I'm not quitting. Why would I do that? But something happens. Boom. What, what happens? God changes their taste buds. He opens their eyes to see how beautiful Christ is. Which is why um, in Matthew uh, 13, 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So here you are, you know, you're walking along, and you got Ooh, treasure here. Man, it's worth everything. I am selling everything to buy this field. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes through the word of God. And we go, this, I love it. Yeah, this is worth trading in everything for. So our response, we do have to respond. Acts 2, 37 through 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. So this is when um, the apostles, Jesus has gone to heaven, ascended to heaven, and the disciples now are preaching at Pentecost to a bunch of people. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, or convicted, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see, repent and be baptized. Okay? Repent. Turn from the way you were living, living for yourself, living for the world, living for sin, and be baptized. We had a baptism Sunday. It was awesome. That's what it tells us to do. Acts 16, 30 to 31. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is when Paul has been put in prison, and there's an earthquake, and the doors open, and the jailers, oh, I'm going to take my life. I'm going to be killed because I, all the prisoners are getting loose. And so... The jailer, Paul says, wait, wait, don't kill yourself. So the jailer comes and he says, then he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So you see it says, repent, be baptized, believe. These are all same sides of the coin. When you, you're not going to repent until you're, Something's better, right? I'm not going to leave behind this until some, I, I know something's better. And that's what the Holy Spirit does and opens our eyes. So we repent and we turn to Christ. We believe. So we turn from this and go here because we, we believe. We now believe. And then the next step is you don't have to be baptized. So Grudem in his big blue book says, Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins Sincerely repent of sins. You can tell if it's sincere whether or not they leave them or not, right? 
where they're not in two months, they're still repenting. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. So then, that's conversion. So you have this regeneration, you have this conversion. And they both happen like simultaneously. Like when you strike a match, you have fire, heat, light. It's like, which comes first? Regeneration, that new heart comes first because until then, we, we don't want him. We're unable to rescue ourselves. That's why we need God rescuing us. And this is what he does. So it's so neat. So before, you know, as a new Christian, we were unable to accept the gospel. We accept the gospel. We were hostile and can't submit. And all of a sudden, we, we love God and we submit. We had a hard heart. We have a, a soft heart. We were dead in sin. Now we're alive in Christ. We were followers of Satan. We're a follower of Christ. We're a slave of sin and a slave of righteousness child of wrath to a child of God. And it says in verse 21, I believe, or 22 or 23, um, that we're holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, wow, that's amazing. Is that not something to be thankful for? Is that not something to light your fire every day? I mean, I think about my nephew John. Um, John Bruner, just uh, you, you may have seen his name on the New Deacons list on Sunday. So John came to live with us about three years ago. But up until John was about 25, yeah, he was a, an atheist, alcoholic, drug addict. He was a mess. But he goes to rehab about three, three and a half years ago. And as he's going to, it was a Christian rehab, and he, he, he tells his story, he says, yeah, I didn't want to go to Christian rehab, of course, I was an atheist. And, but my dad said I, that was the only place I could go, it was, I had no choice, I was kind of desperate. And so, but I said, I said, okay, I know they're Christians, I know I'm vulnerable right now, but I will not be brainwashed. <laughs> so he gets down there, and the guys at the, that are in the treatment facility already, they say, Hey, are you a Christian? John's like, no. They said, well, you will be in two weeks. He's like, yeah, right about it. We'll see about that. Just a night or two later, he said, I was, he, said he was lying in bed, and he said, I think I'm so stinking smart, but yet look at me. I'm a, I'm in a mess. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want to, because of my ignorance, not know God. I don't think he exists, I, but I just don't want to be ignorant and stupid. So God, if you exist, show me. I don't. So he says the next day, he's sitting in their chapel service, and he says, I can't even remember what the guy was talking about. He said, but all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and he gives an invitation. I was like, I just knew that it was true. I just knew that Jesus was right and good and true. I didn't have my questions answered, all my atheist questions. They, it was like they were irrelevant. And so he said, I just, I believed. And he's been transformed. You can watch his life today. It's, the guy's on fire. I think about myself. I have, I'm, my parents were missionaries. I was raised in the church. How many of you all had Christian parents? A bunch, right? Most of you. Right? So my parents had me in church all the time. I was a missionary kid. But really, when I was 30, I was in the Navy. I was in San Diego. I had a boss who was really tough. And he made me think about how I was doing at work. And I was like, I need to step it up. Uh, this is not good. But as I was driving home, God interrupted me and said, well, what about me? And I thought, you know, I've just been going through the motions. I've just doing the Christian thing because that's what I do. It's just pretty moral, in my opinion. <laughs> and I thought, you know, do I really believe? Yes, I do. Okay, then. Something has to change. So I said, okay, God, change me. 
and he changed me. All of a sudden, when I, I had an affection for him I never had before. Before it was always like, Is there, I'd rather be doing something else on Sunday morning, actually. But I will go to church because I know I should, and my wife wants me to. <clears throat> but all of a sudden, I, was, I had a new heart. And I thought for a long time, that, that was just, oh, okay, I just got serious. No, that's when I was born again, when I was 30. Um, others, I'll read this paragraph from Grudem. It says, because regeneration is a work of God within us, in which he gives us new life, it is right to conclude that it, it is an instantaneous event. It happens only once. At one moment, we are spiritually dead, and then at the next moment, we have new spiritual life from God. Nevertheless, we do not always know exactly when this instantaneous change occurs, especially for children growing up in a Christian home or for people who attend an evangelical church or Bible study over a period of time and grow gradually in their understanding of the gospel. There may not be a dramatic crisis with a radical change of behavior from a hardened sinner to a holy saint, but there will be an instantaneous change nonetheless when God, through the Holy Spirit, in an unseen and visible way, awakens spiritual life within the change will become evident over time in patterns of behavior and desires that are pleasing to God. So a lot of people in here probably that's true of them. So, and then he goes on to say, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister I'll just say this. The, 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 you see, he says that this is all true. You have been reconciled, and you are holy and blameless if you continue in the faith. So there, there is that required. But here's what you hang your head on. John 6, where it says, Jesus said, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And then he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is like, look, when God does this work in you and gives you to me, I'm not losing you. I'm not letting you go. Isn't that encouraging? That's not, again, it's not on me. I mean, yes, I do I do have to work at it, but yet ultimately it's God in me making me desire and do his will. So, therefore, we joyfully give thanks to the Father who has rescued us and qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. So what are some implications? Especially if you have children, this is true, or grandchildren, I think it takes away the stress and guilt. You know, some, our, our kids don't always. At this point, you you cannot regenerate your child. You cannot give them new birth. You are not the Holy Spirit, right? So, if your child or your grandchild or your friend or whatever does not believe, it's not because you did a bad job. That relieves the pressure. I, I know a lot of parents who feel a ton of guilt because their kids aren't walking with the Lord. And they feel all this pressure. Well, I, if I had just done this, or if I would sent them to the Christian school, you know, instead of Wando, or, you know, and you have all this pressure. I, I know the thoughts. I'm a parent. But, but you, you just can't go there. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. What you do is you pray, because you know who it is that, that saves. It's God. God, please save my kid, save my grandkids, save my husband, save my friend. And you steer them to Bible-saturated environments because he uses the word of God to save us, doesn't he? So you want them in a place where they hear the word. What happened with my son, Don? He's a new deacon as well. When he, was, he went to PCA, I mean, I, I did everything right. Yeah, I didn't. But nevertheless, when he graduated from PCA and he still lived with us, he went to Trident, he just started going, and I said, son, you're on the pathway to hell. <laughs> He's like, 
He said, and he told me later, it's like, that ticked me off when you said that, Dad. <laughs> that's true. Frankie, it's where he was headed. And uh, Seal and I are just pulling our hair out. This kid is just obnoxious. It's not good. Well, I heard about this passion conference in Atlanta, this big conference for college students, about 20,000 college students going, and I said, you know, Diane C., her son Andy, was also not in a good state. And I said, Diane, let's send our kids to Passion Conference. She's like, I already got them signed up. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm sending Don with, with Andy. So uh, we said, Don, how about go with, uh, go with Andy to Atlanta to this conference? Don's like, okay. But he's thinking, ooh, fun with Andy, Atlanta. He, wasn't, he didn't want to go because of the conference. It's just going to be fun. So as he tells it, he goes to the, to the conference. He's like, on the first day, well, he went with the attitude of, you know what, when I'm coming back home, the bad things I'm doing, I'm doing worse. So he goes up there, and his first day he's like, oh, hmm, a little conviction happening in the heart. Second day, ooh, you know, I probably need to change a few things here pretty soon. Third day, I need to repent right now. And he came back transformed. He had a new heart when he came back. He was no longer the little twerp that left. I mean, it's the, the day after he got back, he said, he told me, I asked him a question. I said, hey, did you do this? No, no, it was my friends who did that. He walked away, and 15 seconds later, he came back, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Dad, I just lied to you. And I'm like, he has a new heart. And praise God for that. But you know what? I was the same father before that as I was after it. It wasn't because I was a better parent all of a sudden. My kid was better. God, God answered our prayers. And he'd been heard the word of God. So there is hope. He can save anybody. There is nobody too messed up and too hard not to have the Holy Spirit go and change our heart. And that's encouraging. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. We joyfully give thanks to you for what Jesus has done for us. May we never lose the wonder of what you've done. And may we, Father, live in a way that pleases you, walking daily in repentance and faith um, until you call us home. And we just thank you. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.